In J.R.R. Tolkien's fantasy, the novels, um, you've got the, the Hobbit, the Lord of the Rings. I think there's a new installment coming out on streaming service, uh, services near you. Um, there is a character named Gollum. Gollum is sneaky. He's unreliable. He's dysfunctional. Originally, his name was Smeagol. He was just an ordinary hobbit. Um, but Smeagol wanted to attain this magical ring of power. Uh, the ring gives power, things like invisibility and wealth to those who possess it, and even the potential to have mastery over really anything else. But there's a sinister downside to having the ring. Because what happens is the ring ends up possessing those who possess it. You see, the ring was made by the dark satanic figure, Lord Sauron. I'm sorry, all the nerds in the audience are like, I know this. And everybody else is like, sorry, I I talked to girls in high school. Um, (laughs) That's on the nose. It's on the nose. Um, But what the ring does is it infects someone, it changes their worldview, it blurs how they see themselves and other people, it twists things, and this is a sneaky way for Lord Sauron to get domination and control over the normally free people of Middle-earth. It gives them access to his evil. And so the ring promised Gollum so much, once he took hold of it, it took hold of him and it wouldn't let go. And the result was he became a shadow of what he could be as a person, corrupted him, mind, body, and soul. He went from being this normal person with the capacity to care to being this selfish, evil little goblin in a bondage that he didn't expect, in a bondage that he could not escape. And despite all the misery, he still calls it his precious, my precious, right? And he's even willing to kill people who get in the way of him and his precious. Good morning. My name is Justin, uh, one of the pastors here at Riverview, where our mission statement reads, we invite everyone to know and enjoy Jesus as we stumble together. As we stumble together, and as such, we are in a series based on this mission statement called Onward We Stumble. We're mindful of how we're walking. That's what the Buffer video is doing. How are we walking in our path of life with God and with others? We're looking at items that cause uh, Christians to trip up, to lose our balance on our journey. In this series, we want to do two things. We want to honestly admit, not pretend. We don't want to play church. We want to do church. We want to admit that we stumble. We want to be humble. And by grace, though, we want to move forward. We want to move onward. We don't want to be stuck in the same ruts time and time again. So our topic for today, I think, is the most overlooked topic in Western Christianity. I think it is a topic that is so sacred that we don't even check it. We don't examine it through the lens of Scripture Sociologists unanimously agree that this is the most esteemed virtue in our society, so we should think about it through the lens of the Bible. The topic that I want to encounter today is freedom. How we stumble over freedom, because generally speaking, we love it. It's supposed to be good in all its forms. I mean, who among us wants to lose freedom? I sure don't. But here's the thing. We are so free That each person is free to define freedom the way they see fit. How would you define freedom? Someone offered you money to put in a dictionary entry, and they said, you can't have any other reference point, you can't Google, here's $10,000, just offer a good definition of freedom. What would you offer? 
And actually, more importantly, where did you come up with that? It's one of those things that we just soak up, we absorb, we just inherit, or inherit, excuse me. But as you consider the following items, I'm going to go through a list, a type of freedom. You're going to see that we've got some chaotic and mutually uh, exclusive ideas of freedom. What do we mean by freedom? I, heard, I hear people talk about reproductive freedom, medical freedom. Those are both forms of bodily autonomy, autonomy, self-rule, self-law. Or civic freedoms, uh, freedom of choice in schooling, uh, economic freedoms, consumer choice, free trade, free speech, freedom of expression, right, and what we want to wear, how we want to represent ourselves on social media, preferred pronouns, etc. There's free love, sexual freedom, freedom from the expectations of your friends, your family, or even society, and the list goes on. If we are even remotely awake right now, we know that freedom means radically different things to radically different people. But since freedom is the most misused and perhaps most misunderstood word in our language, uh, as parents in the crowd know, and easy to abuse, <laughs> freedom can be abused, right? We need to re-examine it because it's so easy for us to feel entitled to what really is a misunderstanding. This causes confusion, division, chaos, not just out there in the world at large, but in the, the church, like the capital C general church, but not even in that, in our church, in our life groups. And if I can be honest uh, this morning, I, I feel uneasy about broaching this topic. The, the, the specter of being misunderstood, I don't, I don't want to stumble through this. The last few years have been a difficult and painful season. Uh, for me. I've seen an array of people that I love fight when it's not called for, leave when it's not necessary. I've seen the biblical virtues of, of sacrificial love and submission dismissed because there's this unchecked idol of self-determination. Some go quietly in unfounded suspicion. Some go loudly in divisive slander. Someone accosted me in the parking lot over these issues. Right after church. So the coward in me wants to push this under the rug. The jerk in me wants to power up, be argumentative and uncharitable. But I believe the Holy Spirit knows that a weary flock needs encouragement and challenge with a prophetic and shepherdly word. So I'm going to pray for me. I'm going to pray for us and then we'll continue. Father God, we thank you that you give us freedom that where the spirit of the Lord, there is freedom. Lord, I pray that as we encounter your text, that we would know that we are free to receive your word. I pray that each and every one of us would decrease, that you would increase, that the words of our lips, the meditations of our heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord. Amen. Guiding question for today. What is freedom? Actually, what is freedom? And who is it for? Who is the beneficiary of freedom? Well, let's start with the kind of freedom the Bible has in mind. Galatians 5.1. Paul says, for freedom, Christ set us free. For the sake of freedom, for freedom's sake, Christ set us free. Greek word here is eleutheria. Eleutheria can be translated as liberty or freedom. 
um, and it's best understood as contrasted with a state of slavery. The Greek notion here is highly political. And by political, I don't mean that we're going to run off and talk about government and governance, but the word polis, that has to do with the interaction of people. So if you're just kind of like, hey, there's office politics, or there's politics of why that one kid gets to play on the sports team, there's no government involved, but there's still politicking, right? So slavery or freedom. The context here, Paul is summing up his thoughts predominantly from the the two chapters, chapter 3 and 4 before it, and he's saying that Jesus opened a way to attain righteousness and salvation apart from the law. We are not enslaved to the law. So there's one sense when we speak to the gospel, the good news of Jesus, there is a straightforward, once and for all time, freedom, gospel freedom. But the Bible is nuanced, so let's work through just a few different ways that this goes. For all of us who have put our faith in Jesus, we have gospel liberty that will last forever. Especially in Paul's writings here, we see it clearly. Number one, this means that we are freed from having to to be bound by and trying to be saved by some moral code. We couldn't do that. That's the bad news. But the good news is Jesus did that for us. So we are free from the law. Secondly, we are free from having sin be our old master. It is true that we still have the sin nature, right? We have the old man, but we also have the Holy Spirit. We have the new man. We are free to walk in new life. That's why our past does not define us. Thirdly, one of the things Paul is getting at here is we are free of the fear from eternal death and separation of God. The tomb is empty, Jesus has defeated the grave. We are free. We are reborn, justified as children in God's family. That means guilt and shame are dealt with. So if you have not already, I'll just real quick plug here. Put your saving faith in Jesus. Give him your allegiance. You have this kind of cosmic, eternal freedom. No matter what happens in your life, you have this freedom. This is a foundational freedom. Now, from here, there's many different directions I could go in. I could give a a sermon about legalism, how we're free from legalism or or guilt. I actually just set out um, uh, Pastor Noel's book on the Info Center. You can walk by. He wrote a book a few years back called Unchained. It's about freedom. He goes in a bazillion directions. I highly recommend it. Super helpful. So how do we relate freedom? Well, I want to focus today about a view of freedom as how do people saved by the gospel relate to other people. To be abundantly clear, I understand it's an election cycle. I'm not talking about governmental politics. Okay, I'm not going to take debate. That's not where I'm going. So if you hear that, try to uncouple that from partisanship. I know that's difficult. I'm not commenting about external policies or best practices for legislation, political theory, none of the above. I'm a nerd. I would love to do that, but that's not our topic for today. I am only concerned with our internal hearts, what we think, our interpersonal relationships, how we relate, and then our posture out in society, regardless of what the structure is. Because a Christian understanding of freedom shouldn't change with time or space. Like if you get up and you move to Australia or Mongolia, or time travel back to ancient Rome, or, or you're in the modern U.S., this shouldn't change. Freedom remains the same. So what is freedom and who is it for? Well, let's look at Paul. He's going to tell us what it's not. Galatians 5, 13, he's going to say, it's not doing what our flesh wants. For you are called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. How radical. His view of freedom is 
you serve others through love. For the whole law is summed up in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you will be consumed by one another. So when he says flesh here, flesh is one of those words that can mean multiple things. Like I can talk about my back, or we can have a direction to go back, not the same thing. Well, flesh can mean the physical body, but the Bible says Jesus put on flesh. It's not saying Jesus put on sin. What this means is a different sense of the flesh that speaks to our corrupt, fallen, sinful nature. The animalistic cravings that we have that are fallen and at odds with the spirit. He's saying your freedom is a different type of freedom. It's not a pretext for indulging in your creaturely appetites. Christian liberty is not a ticket to me first behavior, but it's an invitation to serve one another through love. There's this very famous uh, South Park episode. Um, I, don't, I don't watch South Park, but somehow I know about it. Uh, that's how famous it is, where they're mocking like the out-of-control kids and families that show up on Maury Povich, okay? And there's this segment where one of the main characters, Eric Cartman, uh, where he captures the essence of this false freedom. And so to his mom, to Maury, to the live studio audience, and everybody else watching, no matter what they say to him, he keeps on saying, whatever, I do what I want. Whatever, I do what I want. It doesn't matter how I dress, how I speak, do I use drugs, what my sexuality looks like, how I treat people, if it hurts you, if it offends you, whatever, I do what I want. He's this rogue little tyrant sitting on the throne of his life. Now, most of us, we're not that sleazy as we go about it. We like to smuggle it in different ways. You know, I, I button up with my, with my nice clean shirt. Right? I don't dress like that. But many people, sadly even believers, suppose that self-determination at all costs is freedom. Again, how do you think of freedom? What does freedom mean to you? As you're thinking, let's listen to Paul Tripp eviscerate the self-determination view of freedom. Buckle up. This is hard for me to read, hard for me to even hear but it's true. Freedom that fills and satisfies your heart is never found in setting yourself up as your own authority. True freedom is not found in doing whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it. True freedom is never found in putting yourself in the middle of your world and making it all about you. True freedom is not found in resisting the call to submit to any authority but your own. True freedom is not found in writing your own moral code. True freedom is not the result of you finally getting things your way. When you do these things, you never enjoy freedom. You can only end up in another form of bondage. What if, we want to be biblical, we need to totally reset and renew our definition of freedom? After all, it's so counterintuitive that Paul would say uh, that we are free to be servants that I'm, I am God's slave. The word is doulos. That's the word. I'm, I'm, a, I'm free to do that. I'm free to bondage? What this means is my individual liberty is subject to a new law, the law of love that leads to service. Worldly freedom without fail every time in its various forms is self-centered. Pursuits that feed the flesh in one way or another, they defy any authority, they disregard other people. But if we take the Bible seriously, that's just sin by another name. Like Gollum, we hold on to the ring of power and what it could promise, not even realizing that when we take hold of it, it can take hold of us. 
And the dark Lord can use us as he sees fit. Listen to James' exposing question. Writing to believers, what is the source of wars and fights among you? What's the source of wars and fights? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? Why is it that Christians bite and devour one another? Is it external sources like the perceived or actual moral decay of society? Bad leadership and government? Economic distress? Media bias? Inflammatory bumper stickers? No. Fights and quarrels are the result of us giving into disordered passions instead of walking with the spirit. When the British statesman Edmund Burke critiqued the excesses of France in the late 18th century, he said, men are qualified for civil liberty, what he means is social freedoms, in exact proportion to their disposition to put moral chains, shackles, fetters, they themselves need to do this, he's saying, upon their own appetites. Society cannot exist unless a controlling power and will upon will and appetite be placed somewhere. Otherwise, it's like Lord of the Flies, right? We're just chasing each other around with hammers. It is ordained in the eternal constitution of things that men of intemperate minds cannot be free. Their passions forge their fetters. Fetters are chains. They are restraints. They're handcuffs. Their passions forge their fetters. They take hold of the ring of power, and it takes hold of them. Unchecked, me-first pursuits, ultimately skewing towards our passions, become shackles we are destined to bite and devour one another. So instead of self-determination, what might freedom be? Paul is going to continue. He's going to spin this a little bit more in a positive direction. Christian freedom is a release from the slavery to the flesh. That's freedom. Verses 16 and 17, Paul says, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. He, he doesn't say walk by legalism and a bunch of uptight rules. No, 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 use your freedom to walk with the Spirit. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These two are opposed together so that you don't do what you want. You don't do whatever you want. It says that doing what we feel like doing isn't always the ticket to freedom. I'll give you a case study. <clears throat> Alcohol for a moment. Are we free to be moderate? Sure. Are we free to consume? Legalism? Yeah. Okay. But tell me who is freer. Two scenarios. One, you've got the cliche deadbeat dad. Um, that as long as he does not get behind the wheel of a car, he is free to hit the sauce as hard as he wants and as often as he wants. As a free adult, he can do that. But if he can't hold down a job, he can't get the kids to school, can't be replied upon, relied upon, is he free? Has he taken hold of something that has taken hold of him? Or the other extreme, what about the temperate dad who's mastered his cravings so that he's not dependent, so that he's not intoxicated? He can be reply, re, re, relied upon. He can consistently serve his family and love. Who is the free person here? This is the kind of freedom that Paul has in mind. It's not about giving into the flesh. It's about being lifted up to a high calling. Greg Boyd Self-determining freedom ultimately gives way to a higher form of freedom. The freedom to be creatures whose love defines them. Or the lowest form of bondage, the inability to participate in love. Me first is the inability to participate in love because love is self-giving. 
we become beings who are irrevocably open or irrevocably closed to God's love. The former is eternal life. The latter is eternal death. True freedom is breaking the control of sin in our lives. It's about the control of the Holy Spirit. I read a commentary, and it talked about how everybody is always under control of something. Always. There is not a neutral space in the universe. And this commentary said that believers, we don't have to be free to legalism and law. We also don't have to be free to our flesh. We can be under the control of God himself as we participate with him. The God who gives us the desire and the will to want the right things, to, to, to resist the wrong. John Mark Comer. Freedom is not just being able to choose, but to choose the good over the bad. Freedom isn't about autonomy from authority, but about liberating loving relationships from sin to the strong desires, or to overcome the strong desires of self-gratification and to fulfill our deeper desires of self-giving love. God put eternity in our hearts, it says in Ecclesiastes. So sometimes we live for the surface when what's going to satisfy us is well beneath it. True freedom is a restraining power that allows you to love. So I think what we need to do, I've got a lot of high-level stuff by, by design, not of a lot of examples, because I want to set the stage. But sometimes I think we need to specifically check what we think, because there's a lot of things we hear and we just nod. Not in agreement, we're asleep at the wheel. But sometimes that very thing that we desire, the very thing that we think will set us free is the very thing that puts us in bondage, and we still call it our precious, even though it causes misery. I want to stumble together through a few common statements. Uh, you might uh, recall last week when Noel was setting up this series, he said something that really struck me. He said that there are places in our hearts where the gospel has not yet penetrated. And we know this from other domains, right? So many of us, we, we get saved, and then a little while later, Jesus is like, <clears throat> yeah, we got to do some surgery on that. We got to roll back the tape. We got we to get after that. And I wonder if freedom is one of these spots. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask a question. I'm going to say, does this view of freedom, common view, does it jive with Jesus? <laughs> Sometimes we have statements that go totally unchecked in our worldview. We are Christians, but our worldview is not Christian. So if what follows is emotionally charged from you, know that I'm actually not going to tell you how to live. You're free to make that call. I'm not talking about government policies. I'm not. I'm simply asking you to think critically about our assumptions and say, hey, is this rhetoric fitting for a Christian to adopt? And you're free to do with it what you want. You can respond how you choose. I just ask you to ask yourself, are you listening carefully with a soft heart? Because James tells us that wisdom from above, it's peace-loving and it's impartial. So here we go. Does the following view of freedom jive with Jesus? Statement one of three. It's all about what makes you feel good. I'm free if I can have true expression, self-expression, unmitigated expression. I'm taking a quote from Billie Eilish, a great musician, by the way, um, interviewed in a um, uh, Vogue uh, scenario, a Vogue magazine scenario, responding to criticism of her wearing some revealing dress or something like that. And her defense was essentially, well, it's all good because I was just leaning into my freedom of expression. It's all good if it makes you feel good. Is this true freedom to express yourself however you want? 
Represent yourself on social media. Choose how to live sexually however you want. If we take a closer look, um, this doesn't stem from Jesus of Nazareth. Sigmund Freud. Okay? There's some contributions that he brought uh, to the modern world, but one of the things that he, he, he did is he supposed that all of our grief comes from repressed desires, that if we hold our desires in, that's not good, and that causes grief. It assumes that what is good is what feels good according to our desires. And so here's the popular view, the street-level view. Most people aren't walking around saying, um, I want to quote Sigmund Freud. <laughs> but they will say, hey, if it feels good, do it, right? The view is if there are any external restraints that stop you from that self-determination, external restraints, things like society, your family, religion, those are oppressive. And if there's any internal restraints, like something the Bible might call self-control, that's repressive. So if we're not doing exactly what we want to do all the time, we're not living our authentic true self we are either oppressed or repressed. Does that square with the Bible? Is that fitting for what God has to say? Because the Bible suggests it's not about feeling good. It's about being good, doing good according to God's will, not our own. 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You are not your own. I feel like that is a sermon in itself. You are not your own, for you were bought at a price, so glorify God with your body. We're not called to be true to the old nature, but be true to the new nature. So what if freedom and good needs to be redefined as acting good and wanting the right things? That's statement one of one. Let's get a little more dicey, shall we? And ask, does this view of freedom jive with Jesus? My body, my choice. My body, my choice. Yes, I'm going there. And to be clear, yet again, not addressing policy. The external structures may be what they're going to be. I can't control that. I'm not dismissing the health of a mother, uh, instituting a structure on society. I'm not doing that. Dear Christian, I am just asking you, is this fitting? Do you nod along when you hear this? I'm getting at our self-importance relative to others. Is total bodily autonomy true freedom? Consider it. And while we're at it, let me be an equal opportunity offender. Um, because to be fair, I have seen the anti-vax, anti-mask rallies with the same signs. It's my body. It's my choice. Now, it's not a one-to-one -one correlation. But what I'm getting at is as we consider all of this stuff, where does public health or the health of others factor in when we're in society? Again, I'm not going to argue about what policy should be or what mandates or any of that stuff. That's not what I'm doing. How does your heart even react that I am broaching this right now? Are you bewildered? How dare you in a church? Are you angry? How dare you? I'll tell you why I'm going there. I have seen our life groups implode because of this. And frankly, I'm sick of it. I have thought of quitting because of it. It's me first, and it's okay if we don't think the same way. We are free to journey one another, with one another. I'm grieved to see Christians who are not their own make an idol out of self-determination. 
self over others, especially if others might be vulnerable. We can sit in that. We can let the Bible speak into that. But yet, sometimes we still call our autonomy our precious. And we're miserable because of it. Let's listen to Jesus and how he offered his body, how Jesus thought of his body. Hebrews 10. When Christ came into the world, he said to God, you didn't want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you gave me a body to offer. And then he said, look, I have come to do your will. He said to God the Father, sweating blood in the garden, not my will, but yours be done. Just consider it, okay? Statement two of three. Trifecta here. Does this view of freedom jive with Jesus? What about the statement that I've heard out of Christians' mouths? Don't tread on me. Don't tread on me. Is hyper-individualism true biblical freedom? Now, let me situate this from what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. Caveat. I'm hedging, okay? What comes to mind for me is the yellow Gadsden flag with a black rattlesnake on it from the Revolutionary Era when heroes of old gained independence from the tyranny of the British crown, when colonists were taxed heavily, they didn't have the right to vote, they didn't have the Bill of Rights, no free speech, press, religion, no Second Amendment, Uh, they they could be forced to house British troops. To be clear, it is a good and blessing that we have a monarchy that went away, that was top down, that's gone. I'm not saying our foundational freedoms are bad. I'm saying they are good. Let's keep them. Let's be grateful. I'm not even smuggling in an argument for big government. That is not what I'm saying at all. But what I'm addressing is a new version that is unchecked, where this has been twisted. Because it's one thing to be anti-authoritarian, because anti-authoritarian regimes trample on the dignity of human beings. It's another thing to be anti-authority. It's one thing uh, to be a history buff. You love the past. You, you celebrate the positive outcomes of the past. But it's another thing to spin that in a direction that doesn't even sync with the history. In a direction that feeds the flesh. And if we are skewing so hard towards self-determination that we cry tyranny every single time something comes up that we don't like while we still have the ballot box we still have every single one of the the items on the bill of rights we have them we have what the the patriots were working for and we're still saying don't you dare trample on me (sighs) is that fitting for a christian just consider that Should we be as defensive as rattlesnakes, ready to bite, ready to inflict venom? That was the way that Benjamin Franklin described the spirit of the revolution. Jesus says that we are to be like sheep among wolves. Yes, shrewd as snakes, but as harmless as doves. And I know this is riveting for some people. I know that because that's why I was accosted. So if you beef with this interrogation here, here's Matthew 5. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. As for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, leave him your coat as well. 
If anyone forces you to go one mile, occupying Roman soldiers could grab somebody off the street. They're heavy gear. They could say, carry it a mile. If anyone forces you to go to a mile, Jesus says, go with him too. Give to the one who asks you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Jesus was tread upon, friends. We have a crucified Savior. And his death brought us liberty. Excuse me. How should that impact us with others and the watching world? I would submit we do need a renewed vision of freedom. Because I think sometimes when we attain the precious of self-determination, it makes us miserable. Honestly, when, we've, when I've had these conversations or I've seen these other conversations happen, if, if, if you're truly free, why are you so uptight and combative? Why are you ready to fight and hold a grudge? Why are you ready to leave? Why are you slow to listen and quick to be angry? Are you free? Or is that just the flesh called by a different name? 2 Corinthians 3.17, Paul says, Where the Spirit of the Lord is... There is freedom. He said that under the boot of the Roman Empire. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Not when I call the shots. If we have the indwelling spirit of God, we have freedom. Freedom from sin, Satan, death, and fear. This is untouchable freedom. That circumstances, that policies, uh, the government, what people think can't touch that freedom. We can be truly free people. You see, here's the thing. Jesus was the freest person that ever lived. He had a full and dignified life. He associated with everyone. He was amicable and loving until he had to call out religious hypocrisy because that didn't serve people well. He associated with the poor and the lonely. He didn't seize his freedom to sleep around. He was celibate, but he lived a fulfilled life. His pleasure was found in doing God's will. He lived a compliant life in a godless, non-democratic, authoritarian regime that had taxation without representation. And you know what Jesus even said? And this is mind-boggling for me. He said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to, to God what is God's. Those are Jesus' words. Didn't incite a revolution. He was a calming presence as a gracious ministry. I love how John 10.10 reads in the New Living, where Jesus said, no one can take my life from me. I think a lot of us love that. No one can take my life from me. No one could. Jesus could snap his fingers. Angels could have flattened Rome. He could have done anything that he wanted. He could walk on water. No one can take my life from me, but I sacrifice it voluntarily. Jesus was subject to none, but he was the servant of all. So for a moment, instead of using pseudo-freedom to resist and to shut down, perhaps we could let the Spirit gently override some of our thinking. What if God wants to sanctify? What if God wants to renew our minds so we can be a certain type of person, free to do the will of the one who created us and has recreated us and who has filled us in this world? So what is freedom? Who is it for? Freedom is the ability to restrain our flesh. It's for God, and it's for others. And we have freedom to work out exactly how that works. But I want to lead 
uh, us to the conclusion with Paul's words. In humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself. Can this be said of me? Can this be said of you, that we can empty ourselves He did this by assuming the form of a servant, by taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he came as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Let's pray. Father, I pray for all of us here today that we would truly experience your freedom, that it would enter different pockets of our heart, Lord. And if we see the need to edit something, Lord, we wouldn't try to edit your word. That we would truly be free by loving you and loving others, Lord. Give us soft hearts and a hard resolve to follow you where you might lead. We love you, Lord. We thank you. Help us not stumble. And as we stumble, help us not to be judgmental of one another. Help us to stumble together. In your strong and saving name, amen.